and welcome to the 495. This is your host, Doug Sparks, editor-in-chief of Merrimack Valley Magazine. Here we are again. We've managed to uh, we've managed to make it another week. That's right. Under bizarre circumstances. And we're doing it old school. You're doing it old school. You know, it's it's funny. It's it's originally I much preferred having a, a guest in the studio. Yep. Um, but this situation has made me rethink that. I, I found Skype a little bit tough because of the delay. Mm-hmm. But I, I've just been, you know, like doing the interviews by phone. I've, I've enjoyed, and I'm kind of wondering, well, why is that? Why do I? And, and then I, I was reading about it, and Terry Gross from Fresh Air from NPR, yeah. she prefers to do them by phone. And it's exactly for the same reason, is, is I, I can I'll take notes, and I can look at my oh, notes, yeah. and I don't have to look at the other person sitting across from me. Because what would happen, if, like if the people from Red Antler were in here, I would start taking notes, and their eyes start going down to the page, because they're trying to figure out what I'm going to say next, right. and they're yep. kind of curious. So it takes away that distraction. Plus, it's uh, we're old school radio people. Yeah. And... Old school radio is a conversation. Right, right, yeah. And so you don't have to worry about where your eyes are. You don't have to worry about what you're writing. You don't have to worry about dealing with a camera and lights right. and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You just get into the mental aspect of the I, conversation. I like that. Yeah. So our, our guest today is named uh, Krista Brown. She is the founder and executive director of the Free Soil Arts Collective. We're going to get into what that is. Uh, she also uh, works for E4All, and she's going to be involved in the WOW conference that's coming up. Uh, Krista, can you hear me? Hi, yes, I can. Hey, how are you doing? How are you? Uh, how are you holding up with this uh, this craziness? I'm doing pretty well. I'm trying to get outside as much as I can, even if it's just a car drive. Yeah. Um, you know, just trying to keep spirits up as much as I can. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I've been. Uh, I have a toddler who won't nap unless I I drive her. So, and, really? and I, I always feel a little <laughs> weird because I I know there are some people who are like super hardcore, like you should never leave the house. So, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's, but it's, it's like the only way to get her sleep. So I just, tr- I just try to be as careful as I can be given the situation and just try to be mindful of best practices. Yeah. I feel like it's all you can do is like just do it safely. Yeah. 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 But you, you know, the funny thing is it's, I've discovered, so what I would do is I would just, I just drive and I drive back roads and I've discovered all these little parks and these little places and yeah. these little historical areas. It's kind of near my house that I didn't even know existed. So now when this whole thing is over, I have a whole bunch of hiking trails and places to go explore. And it's like anything. It, it, it opens some new, it, dis, despite the severity of what's going on, it opens new avenues to explore. Were you a driver before? Were you into the gestalt of just taking a drive on I, the back roads? Yeah. So it's weird. I, I really was into that when I was younger. Yeah. And I even like when I graduated college. Uh, my my uh, graduation present for my mom was a, a credit card for gas. <laughs> and I drove, I was going to drive to the, I decided I was going to drive to Key West. Wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't drive to Key West. Yeah. I, I made a detour and I ended up in Kentucky. And I was like in the, like the Blue Hills. And, I, I, and, and it was funny because I, I was driving through Baltimore. There was a tornado in Baltimore. I was going to stop in, in Baltimore because I was a big John Waters fan. So it's like in Edgar Allan Poe. Yep. No other reason. I'll yep. just stop and see if there's a Poe music. This is pre-internet, right? Um, but there's a tornado. And as I'm driving through, I'm listening to NPR. And they're talking about the Folk Museum in Kentucky. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to drive to the Folk Museum in Kentucky. And I drove all the way to this place. Yeah. And it was very small. And it was kind of neat. And I remember going in there and telling these people, like, Hey, uh, you know, I was just in Baltimore two days ago, and there was a tornado, and I was going to stop, but I decided to come here instead because I heard you on NPR. And they looked at me like I was insane. They were they were ready to call the cops on me, like they had never heard <laughs> anything so uh, so bizarre. So, but but then I think that whole thing went away with the the cost of gas. Sure. And work. I mean, yeah. I don't have time to just right. kind of norm, under normal circumstances. I don't have time to just 
drive wherever I choose, following the rainbow in my car, right? Yep. Uh, so, anyways. I have two bucket list things left. Okay. The Aurora Borealis, Ooh. somewhere in Scandinavia. Yeah. And driving cross-country. Ah. I still want to take the month and just drive cross-country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Still want to do that. Well, maybe we'll take the podcast down the road. Oh, I like it. So, uh, so Krista, so people who don't know you, uh, you're founder of the Free Soil Arts uh, Collective, and your background is is in theater and, and dance. Is that correct? Yeah, yes, that's true. Okay, so do you feel like you, um, as far as your role in performing, particularly perform, you know, something like theater or dance, which depends so much on an audience, yeah. how has this changed? your life and your sense of your role as an artist? Oh, gosh. Well, it's been it's been really tricky. I kind of feel like I'm in the exploratory phase. In um, last week of February, we had our first partnership with a school program, um, and they did a play, and, like, hundreds of people came, and it was magical, and we had all these plans for summer programming and plays in the fall. And I think it's just the unknown of how long this quarantine is going to last that um, I've been exploring, like, with virtual shows. Like, would people even watch a play on Facebook? Or would schools even want to have theater programs taught on a computer? Yeah. And I think, you know, my positive mind, I'm like, you know, it'll be over soon. We'll be back in front of people. But, like, the whole virtual aspect is something I never thought about until all this happened. Right. Um, and, you know, I mean, theater is all about an audience and all about, like, hearing the laughter and, like, feeding off that energy. And when you don't have that, it just, it doesn't feel the same. Right, um, right. Yeah. So I'm actually having these conversations now with, like, my advisory board and, like, some mentors of mine to see, you know, when we're going to reach that point where I really have to consider the virtual piece of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which it's kind of cool because I, like, I don't know if you all have seen, like, I think Bruce Springsteen's doing a concert tonight. And, yeah. like, all these artists that were kind of untouchable are now, you know, creating access, which is beautiful. But, you know, it's just not the same thing. Not, right, not so, the, not the yeah. same thing. So uh, for, yeah. pe- for, for people who don't know you, what is the Free Soil Arts Collective? How did that come about? Where did you get the idea for that? Yeah, um, so we're a nonprofit organization. We came about January 2019. Mm-hmm. Um so I have a theater background. I'm a trained actor. And when I came back to Lowell to live, I went to college in Virginia. Um, a lot of those opportunities to perform and, you know, work with other artists that look like me, I was constantly leaving Lowell and going to Boston, the North Shore, you know, auditioning for shows, collaborating with people. And after a couple years of commuting for those opportunities, I was like, there has to be something we can do in the Merrimack Valley where you know, we can create art that speaks to the people who live here, like um, art that reflects the richness of the community, because there's so much going on in Lowell. I do think there's a thriving art scene, but I don't think it fully represents, you know, the demographics of the area. So we're really working on um, creating art that really speaks to that. So we put on original plays, we partner with schools so that youth can learn what it means to. When you have when a you say schools, are these high schools? Are these like colleges? Like what? Are, do you find yourself oh, yeah. working with a particular age group? So we actually we worked with the Collegiate Charter School of Lowell, which is only only one school we've worked with so far, and they were K through nine. And the group of kids we worked with was sixth to eighth graders. Hmm. And there was one little four year old in there too, but okay. <laughs> we worked with them and kind of. The school had never put on a play before. They had all these kids that were interested in acting, 
but they didn't know what to do. So we worked with their students on coming up with their own play um, that was during Black History Month. And they came up with their idea about, you know, a Black History Museum that comes to life and all the exhibits tell a story. And my role was kind of just, you know, taking them through that and not saying, hey, you guys, the play has to be about this. We have to do this. It's really student-led. Right. And for 12-year-olds that are, you know, often told what to do, what to think, what to wear, Hmm. we want theater to be a... Uh, you know, an empowering tool for them. Like, what's the story you want to say and how? Right. So our, the dream for the Arts Collective would ultimately for me be, we have a season of original shows that we put on in the community. We partner with schools to have them come up with their own plays. And we also employ as many artists as we can. So bringing in singers, actors, painters, whatever, and have them speak to kids, run workshops, all of that. That's like the dream of the Arts Collective for me. Okay, so uh, what's the website? Because people are probably a little bit curious right now. What's the website? Oh, yes. It's freesoilarts.org. Okay. Um, and then maybe someone, yeah. someone listening right now on Facebook, you can go ahead and, if you wouldn't mind, put that in the, uh, the comment section so that can, that can come up. So as far as the original yeah. shows, what, what, are the, um, what have you done so far for the public? Yeah, so um, June of last year we did a show called Hair Tales, Stories of Black Heritage where um, I met with five actors, um, all black women who shared their story about hair and how it had impacted their life. So anything from like working in the corporate field or having coworkers say, you know, just odd, maybe offensive comments about your hair. Hmm. Um, some of the negative experiences that you have as children, depending on where you grew up and kind of how it influences identity. And they call it like documentary theater. So it's based off all their true you know, their lived experiences, and I kind of just pieced it together. And we had it at um, Merrimack Repertory Theater during the summer, um, during their off-season. And I want to say we had, like, two shows, three shows over the weekend. 200 people came, gave us tons of great feedback about how it gave them insight into a world that they didn't know anything about. And um, the dream was just building that up more and finding out what stories want to be told in the community, and then coming up with ways that we can get get those shows in front of people. And so I would say we don't even necessarily want to just work with people that would call themselves actors. It could even be, you know, you just have a story you want to tell. Like, how can we help you bring that to life? And um, we had more shows planned for October. Um, that was going to be a restaging of that show because the first one we did was a reading, which is kind of low-key. But if you want to have, like, you know, props and set and lighting and all that magical stuff, we were going to do that in the fall. So with um, everything going on, we're kind of just rethinking that. Mm. And um, and our name, something I want to say, because our name for some people is very unusual, but there was a group in Lowell called the Free Soil Party mm. um, that worked to save the life of Nathaniel Booth, a fugitive slave. And their saying was, free soil, free labor, free men. Those who work the soil deserve to be free. So our take on that is that those who come from underrepresented communities in the arts they have the right to tell their own story. So we're trying to flip um, where the power comes from when it comes to telling these stories. Right, right. So I, I have a question about the actors who are involved in, in documentary theater, because yeah. like, it, it, it strikes me as something that would be kind of tough emotionally. Like if, like if I'm pretending to be Macbeth or something, I can always yeah. distance <laughs> myself from Macbeth. Like, I'm not yeah. Macbeth. Now, I might get worked up or I might start to feel those things, but at the end of the day, I step back. If, you, yeah. if you're talking about your own life, like, it, yeah. isn't, isn't, that t- isn't that tough? Doesn't it make you kind of, like, 
doesn't that expose you emotionally in ways that must be really uh, difficult for actors? Yeah, yeah, it's totally, it's totally different, and you have to be way more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, it's so much easier to say a story of like trauma or like pain if it's somebody else's words, but when it's yours, I mean, the the emotions are so genuine. And we've had a couple of um, a couple projects I'm working on now. One is working with people that were formerly incarcerated on telling their story in front of others. Mm. And um, there's a whole curve of really making sure people are comfortable because something that we've been open to, too, is somebody might really want their story to be told, but they don't want to be the one to tell it. Mm. So that's when we would work with actors to, you know, bring somebody else's words to life. And it's even something I've been thinking about with, in terms of my, my skill level, I feel very confident in helping somebody to share their story. But when you get into, you know, deep emotional traumas, I think those are moments that you really have to bring in somebody from the outside that can really um, be trained on, like, what to say, what not to say, how to give people the space to really feel in a safe way. Um, I think in this, as we grow, it's really going to be something we have to be a bit more strategic about because it can be so, so vulnerable, like sharing all these deep, dark truths about yourself. Yeah. How do you so you're you're obviously a very busy person. Is that fair to uh, is that fair to say? It, but it's yeah. it, but what is this? Uh, you know, obviously I want to know how you find balance because if you're you're brought into this, you you come into this um, because you're a creative person. You like to create and you like to perform, right? But now yeah. you're, now you're an entrepreneur and you you're also uh, making a living and you're also having to network and do all these things. How do you find yeah. balance? Uh, it's um, I don't know. I heard a quote that I'm going to copy. So I, I wouldn't say I have found balance or that I even like seek it out, but I really like the word integration where you try to find, I try to live a life where both worlds can kind of coexist. So like I have a full-time job, I work for E4ALL and I was able to have open conversations with, um, the team I'm on about like what I'm doing and how it may impact my schedule. So having that conversation is like a huge relief um, and feeling like I can do both things. And I think a big thing is even like just putting things on my calendar. So because I'm working for e all during the day, a lot of the work I do for the Arts Collective is either during my break or in the evening or on the weekends. So putting that on my calendar, like send emails from 6 to 7 or that really helps me. Um, and really finding a team because I, it can be very easy, I think, to fall into like feeling like you have to do everything yourself, but, um, I have an advisory team and we meet once a month and when I'm able to just tell them like, this is everything I'm going on, I'm really struggling. A lot of times it's like, Chris, if you had told us, we could have done that and that and that and that. So I've been trying to figure out those ways where I can like, you know, give somebody something that they're eager to do instead of me trying to avoid it for weeks at a time. Um, and I think that's been the biggest thing, just leaning on other people um, to help. And it's not easy. Sometimes it's really stressful. Sometimes I'm really overwhelmed. Like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it's the only way to make it happen. So sure. I think, yeah. How, who's, on the, uh, who's on the advisory team, and, and how did you put them together? How did you, obviously, you ch you're the executive director, so you, you chose the yeah. advisory team. Is that right? Yeah. So, so we, who, uh, who did you go to and why? 
Oh, yes. These, ooh, depth. Okay. So we, <laughs> last year, so we have a fiscal sponsor, the Greater Lowell Community Foundation. Mm-hmm. So technically, the Arts Collective, we're a nonprofit, but all of our accounting and magical math is led by the Community Foundation. So they hold, um, they have an account where all of our donations are held and all that magic, give us tons of support. They're amazing. And we don't have to have one, but they were kind of like advising me that if you really want to, you know, come up with a plan and be strategic about what you're thinking, an advisory board would be great for you to put together. So I really just tapped into my network and asked people who had different types of skills. So we have like um, Robert Gignac, who works with the Lowell Community Charter Public School, huge knowledge of like accounting and finance. Um, Francie Slater of Mill City Grows, who has all this nonprofit, you know, background. It can really advise me on that. Um, we have Diana Colantino, who works for the New Vestures Fashion Makerspace. So she has all this, you know, artistic, creative energy. Um, we have Laura Smith, who is like a staple in the Lowell community, who just gives me so much guidance and advice. And um, Annie Vong of Humanity, and also Nichelle um, Gandia, who has event planning experience. So I think we have about seven people all together. And really, I was trying to be strategic about the kind of skills that they brought and other people that, you know, their strengths may not be my strengths. Sure. And we, we meet once a month and really just tackle priorities. Um, and I also, some advice I got was, like, to just pick people that um, I already got along with. Like, a very basic thing, but not really go too far out of trying to get somebody that I didn't know very well. Mm-hmm. These are all people who we could be honest with each other, which is very important. <laughs> sure. So you mentioned organization e for all uh, Not everyone listening yes. is going to know e for all What's e for all Yes. Yeah, so e for all stands for Entrepreneurship for All. Um, it's an organization where basically if you have an idea for a business or even a pre-established business that you want to take to the next level, we have an accelerator program. Um, it's a year long, but the first 12 weeks are the most intense. You have classes twice a week. And it's kind of like a business boot camp. So you have an idea for a bakery. You may have no sense of um, sales or who your customer is or how to price things. Every class has a specialist come in from the outside with that background, and they give you all of this knowledge, all these connections. And by the end of the 12 weeks, you have a plan that you can go after. Um, You also get a mentor team of three people. You get matched with three people who you're meeting with once a week during that 12-week period. And the same thing, they're like reinforcing what you're learning in class, giving you that tough love. Um, and then there's opportunities for cash prizes every quarter. So some of the some people in the community, businesses that you know of, like Purple Carrot or um, trying to think, Mill City Grows, like there's so many organizations that went through the program. Hmm. And you see the impact. And I would say the biggest thing is the network because you have this idea, you don't know what you're doing, all of a sudden, you're joining 15 other people who have ideas about a business, and you have people that you can vent to, talk about the good things, the bad things. I want to get a loan. Is that a good idea? Does anybody know anybody at a bank? Like, you have this network all of a sudden that you didn't have before. Um, and the reason why, so EFRAL is based in Lowell, but there are also programs in, in Holyoke. There's a Spanish program that's in Lawrence. We have a program in Longmont. I think there are nine programs altogether. And the biggest thing is it's all in communities where that network can be more difficult to find. So we're not in these big cities on purpose because we want to be in places where 
you may not have that network or say, like, oh, I can just hit up my, my former colleague at Harvard. Like, these are people who don't have that network. Um, and I actually went to the program myself recently um, and asked if I could go through it for the for Free Soil Arts Collective. And um, it's, just, it's life-changing. Hmm. It's completely life-changing. It's crazy. So, so it's it, I, and maybe it's a personality thing, or, or was it like some sort of like conscious decision? I mean, you you mentioned early on that as as far as theater and performance, you find yourself having to go to Boston or big cities. Did you have to yeah. consciously decide, hey, I'm not going to go to New York, I'm not going to go to San Francisco, I'm going to do yeah. something in Lowell, I'm going to stay local? What, what do you remember? What your thought process was at the time? Yeah, because I was one of those ones who wanted to go to New York. Mm-hmm. I auditioned for Juilliard, did not get in, obviously. I um, was living in Lowell. I'd been here for maybe a year or two and was like, nope, this is not for me. I'm not going to stay here. Um, and I can't explain it. Like, it was, it was kind of like a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember I was just working in Lowell at the time, and I kept trying to fight it. So I was meeting people, connecting with people, felt like I was finally getting roots, which was a new feeling for me. And I kept on trying to fight it and saying, like, no, I'm going to New York. No, I'm going to New York. And then I just made the choice to stay. I literally was like, you know what? I'm going to stop fighting it. I'm just going to dig in here and see what could happen if I settled in this place. And that was when all the opportunities came about, like whether it was jobs or people who were like, oh, my God, Chrissy, you should talk to this person. Um, That's when I feel like my life really opened up. I kind of stopped fighting and kind of. Um, I don't like to say the word, I don't think it was settling. It was just kind of, I let go of all of these, these things I was holding on to so, so hard for no reason and kind of just went with what my life was showing me at the time. Um, and it was hard. It was really difficult because I feel like anyone who has big dreams, it's always like New York, LA, like that's what you have to do. But once you find a place that, really wants to pour into you and help you succeed and figure that out like I really I really found a home that I didn't have before um so that desire isn't the same for me anymore sure so uh, I and I don't know how much you can speak for the organization as a whole um but yeah. uh, is is all having to pivot in the face of the current uh COVID-19 Ooh. crisis I wouldn't um I wouldn't say pivot what I would say I do think we're doing more I think the the goal, the goal has really been to make sure that the programs are going well. So, like, we have two accelerators a year, making sure we're getting applicants, making sure we're recruiting mentors and volunteers, all of that. Um, and a lot of the programs have independently come up with their own ways of, you know, engaging with the community, whether it's through pitch contests or things like that. Mm-hmm. Now we're offering, like, two, three webinars a week that can speak to how entrepreneurs can navigate all these different funding options that are out there. We're talking to our alumni to see, like, how are you doing? Is your business even open right now? Like, what are the supports you need? So I almost feel like we're, we're doing way more in terms of frequency of resources that we, we can offer. Um, we now have a section on our website that is straight up just resources for entrepreneurs, both in Spanish and English. What's the website? And, yeah, so eforall.org. It's E-F-O-R-A-L-L.org. And if you go there, you can navigate um, for Spanish as well. And there's a bright yellow banner now that's all about COVID-19 resources. And it has um, breakdowns by region, so, like, uh, about, like, 
all these all this jargon coming out from like the SBA and all these different types of loans. Um, then we have any upcoming webinars that we have. Are the webinars oh, we are the topic. webinars usually free? Or are they always free? Can the public access them? Do you have to be like a oh, member? Yeah. Always free. Always we have free. them um, Wednesdays at eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. And then um, if you look at the website for the Spanish section, they have different times, and typically they're on Instagram Live. But we have a Spanish program in excuse me in Lynn and in Lawrence, so they're offering you know the same content just in Spanish. And um, we're going to do them, I mean, you know, until this, this is over. And we also have a shopping directory. So those businesses that are still open, we have, um, you'll see there's a whole list of companies and nonprofits you can click on and support if you feel inclined. Just, um, out, just out of curiosity, yeah. uh, why, um, why Instagram Live instead of Facebook Live? For the yeah, webinars? so I think they've actually done some, um, I don't think beta testing is the right term, but they did some testing with Facebook and Instagram and saw they got more engagement on Instagram for whatever reason. Um, and they've been, so I'd say our Spanish-speaking programs are really doing a great job of kind of testing the market. And we're seeing that a lot of the stuff that we do for English-speaking entrepreneurs, is, it's just not the same for the communities that they're in. Are there other things so, other than, are there certain things you're noticing that are different or peculiar or striking to you? Um, like, even in terms of communication, like, I think at eFrall, we're all about some email, of course. But with the Spanish-speaking programs, it's really like, you know, we're just going to, you know, contact people via WhatsApp. Like, that's mm-hmm. really effective for us. That gets the word out faster. And eFrall is so, you know, flexible that that's like, oh, great, like, whatever helps. And even the timing of the accelerator program. So if you apply for the English program, it's Tuesday from 530 to 830, and then Thursday from 11 to 1. Like, that's the standard time. But in Lawrence, you'll see that they actually put two in one and offered it on the weekend. Like, so we're flexible. And I think um, I, I think it's a great thing to see. Like, everyone's getting the same content, just in different in different ways. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, you know, like, all these different avenues to communicate. It, it, it kind of makes my job interesting in some ways because there are certain <laughs> sources that are going to prefer email, and there's certain sources that always want to be contacted by Facebook Messenger and others you have to call them and others want to see you in person I have to drive to the restaurant and sit down with somebody and it's like there's like a hundred different ways and it's there's there's a game to kind of figuring out how to get in touch with people and and how to keep communication going Uh, it's really interesting but in some ways that's kind of I I guess maybe a little bit exciting right because you're like all of these different avenues have their own so the people prefer email prefer it for a reason Right, and yeah. and it, you can you can pl- you can you know, sort of use that as a way to get them to um, make their point uh, in in a more detailed manner, whatever it may be. Uh, so yeah. it's uh, it's it's an interesting uh, interesting set of tools. It's daunting, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah definitely. So what's uh, what's the Wow Conference, and how did you come to be involved with that? Oh yes, okay. So um, the Wow Conference is you know all about empowering women and networking, and figuring out ways that we can work together. I actually met um, Patty Coffrey from UMass Lowell, and she talked to me about the conference and asked me if I would be interested in being considered. Um, I had done a couple of speaking engagements in Lowell um, during Lowell Women's Week in 2019, where the theme was, um, the time is now. And, and so just, just so people can follow this, you this year you are the main speaker, correct? Are you the keynote speaker this um, year? I wouldn't say I'm the main. There are four or five of us. Okay. And I am, 
I'm going to be closing out the conference okay. and speaking as well. All right. Um, yeah, and it really was because of a couple, there were a couple of speaking engagements I had done in Lowell around the theme of, you know, the time is now to pursue your dreams and to go after what you want to go after. And they asked me if I could expand upon that and speak um, and share a little bit of my story with people. So, of course, I jumped at the opportunity. And so many of the other women that are speaking are incredible, like from TD Garden, the Boston Globe. So it's like, mm. it's all about, you know, empowering women and and networking and figuring out, like, anything that you've been sitting on that you haven't pursued. Like, why is that? And the time is now to just go for it. Take the first little baby step on whatever it is. Have you had to think about revising whatever speech you were going to... Because uh, for people who don't know about the WOW Conference, it was supposed to be... Uh, when was it supposed to be originally? I think it was supposed to be... Was it in... In June. Oh, in, in March. Yeah, it was, was March. Right, exactly. And now it's been moved to June 25th now. So the, yes. the, the date yeah. that they're kind of hoping for is June 25th. Yeah. As far as we know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, but normally you'd be like... You know, you would have already given this speech, and now you kind of have to think, do you have to, to remold it? Do you have to reshape it, given the yeah. events of, of, of this year? I have thought about it. I mean, it's, it's kind of similar to E4ALL, in that the tagline for E4ALL is turning dreams into businesses. And we had a hard talk about, like, are people really trying to pursue their dreams right now? Like, mm. is that the right word? And the same thing with the WOW conference, like, it's very positive and uplifting, and I think it's just important for what I say to just include some some level of, you know, of realism. Like, we're in this time. It's unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen. If you're feeling super productive right now, great. And if you're not, that's great. Like, I was like, oh, my goodness, I can work out every day now. I can – have I worked out? No. Have I? Sure. <laughs> have I done this daily meditation? No. And that's okay. Yeah, so I, yeah. I want to infuse some level of that into it and not make it so not make it so optimistic that it's not realistic anymore. Yeah. So where you, you you consider yourself an optimistic person. Where do you think that comes from? Were you optimistic when you were young? Do you get that from your your uh, your family or where, where do you oh, what gosh. do you think what do you think brought that about? Oh gosh. Okay. So it came it came when I was a child, but kind of out of the opposite of that, I had a really, you know, just tumultuous upbringing. Like, we were homeless majority of my life, like, all the way up until college, just hopping around, moving from state to state, place to place. And it was somewhere, I think I was in college, where I was like, um, I just made this choice. Like, I'd gone through my whole life saying, I can't wait until I can be an adult and take charge of my life. Like, I can't wait until I have a car. I can't wait until I can do my own grocery shopping. Like, I had all of these ideas, like, I cannot wait. And um, I kept on kind of telling this story my whole life when people were like, how are you? What brought you to Lowell? I'd go into this whole sob story of, like, we were homeless, and sometimes I didn't know where my food was going to come from. And I said this whole thing almost like a speech. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to choose to not live in that narrative anymore. I'm just going to choose to focus on where I'm at now with life, what I want in life now. So now it's like all of these hardships that happen, there's always something positive to find. Like even now, it's like we're in the middle of a quarantine. Like I'm fortunate to have a job where I can work from home. I'm fortunate to have a car so I can go on drive. Like my life now is really 
having something to look forward to is the only way I know how to live. Hmm. If I don't, like, think that way, I just, you know, that's when I really get into these sad, negative moments. Um, and I would say the older I get, I realize that negativity is also, it's a normal emotion to be angry and mad and fearful and stressed and depressed. But I just try not to stay in those emotions. Um, it's just something, yeah, to me, being optimistic is a, is a coping thing for me. And it's not easy, but it's been the only way I've been able to get through through life. Even when I found, I found acting when I was 12. We were homeless. We had just moved to Hartford, Connecticut. We were in Bushnell Park. There was this traveling theater troupe. They wanted kids to come up on stage. I said a couple words. I was like, what was that? That I got bit by something. What is this? Found theater. And that was my saving grace, kind of be in the middle of a homeless shelter, drawing sketches of the time I would be on a play and like coming up with dreams and plans. Like, um, I always have to look forward or else I get stuck. Sure. Does growing up in an unstable environment make you almost better prepared for something like what we're facing now? Oh, yes. I feel like plus my childhood plus theater where anything can happen, you got to go with the flow and improvise. That's what it is right now. It's hmm. like, I'm figuring out different ways to do things. I never want to be somebody who's like, oh, well, that happened. We can't do that. It's always like, no, how do we, how do we address that? How do we find solutions? Um, yeah, I don't like to just have something define. I don't like to have circumstances define what I'm going to do. I will just, you know, switch directions and figure out a different way to do it. Yeah. So do you have yeah. a do you have a personal uh, like uh, social media presence? I, I think I looked on Instagram and couldn't find you, but there may might be because there were a lot of other Krista Browns. Like oh, how, yeah. do, how do you people kind of follow what you're doing? Yeah. So my um, Facebook, of course, Krista Brown, but my Instagram is choice to be happy. It's mm. the number two and the letter B. Um, that's where just, you know, my life mm. selfies on occasion. And um, I also had a Choice to Be Happy podcast that I've kind of paused during this time, but same name. Okay. Um, so what, 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 you paused it because uh, you were concerned about guests or, or because Well, of... I actually, I was thinking about going in a new direction and possibly having it more aligned with the Arts Collective. And originally I was interviewing people who could speak to Choice to Be Happy, which is kind of like, you know, you go through challenges, but you've... Um, you still have a positive direction, just people sharing their stories of how they came to be where they are. But now I really want to think about how I can showcase more artists and talk to them about how people can support their work, what their journey's been like. So I might be changing the name, but it's something I still want to, want to do because I think with the Arts Collective, it's all about storytelling. So I want to explore all the different ways we can do that, whether it's through podcast or, um, or anything. Yeah. Lou, do you have yeah. any... Uh, I'm going to turn over to Lou, because Lou always has some uh, interesting interesting questions that I never would have thought of. Crystal, <laughs> Crystal let's, talk, <laughs> let's talk about Eve for All right now. And I think one of the most yeah. massive shifts in society over the last decade, decade and a half, is that it's not that there are entrepreneurs out there. It's that we are almost all entrepreneurs, and we have to find our way of generating income and generating businesses mm. on the side or online. It's not just brick and mortar open up, opening up a store anymore or opening mm. up a factory. How is E4ALL dealing with that? How do they deal with the virtual economy and the gig economy and people who are just yeah. trying to make money outside of their normal jobs if they even still have normal jobs? Yeah, well, what we've been trying to do is really making sure first that 
everybody who's gone through the program knows the resources that are available. So we've been sending tons of communications about, like, you know, this loan opportunity just came out. You're going to want to apply, reach out to us with any questions or um, anything just to navigate really this overwhelming um, number of resources that are now available. I mean, it's beautiful and it's great, but there's so many. So we're trying to help them really navigate what the best options are for them. And I would also say we're just sharing what other people are doing. So there's some um, people who've gone through the program, like Kashari Mama, for example, who's selling street Egyptian food. So in this quarantine, what do you do? So they came up with an idea to come up with kits that people can have and create it at home. Hmm. So then that's something that we will tell other entrepreneurs about. So if they're a food-based business and didn't know what to do, now you have an idea and you have somebody you can reach out to to ask them, oh, my goodness, how do you, you make that happen? Um, there are even entrepreneurs that are out in the South Coast and fall over New Bedford. They have a business called Got Chew. Haha, <laughs> pun pun. <laughs> and they were in an area where, you know, Uber Eats and stuff wasn't around. And they created this thriving business, which is food delivery. And in the middle of a quarantine, are hiring people as drivers and partnering with dozens of restaurants that they weren't working with before. And, you know, kind of trying to make a good thing at a negative situation. And I think when other entrepreneurs hear about that, it kind of makes it more real. Like, this isn't like a news story you can't relate to. These are people who went through the program with an idea and are literally finding ways to, like, positively impact their local economy. And you can literally hit them up on the phone or an email and say, I went through E4L, too. Can I talk to you? <laughs> um, so we have this network of hundreds of people who are who are innovating or, you know, may not know what to do, but at least know of people that they can reach out to. And, and um, on, the, uh, yeah. on the art side of it, you mentioned earlier in the program that you were wondering what the market was for online entertainment, whether it be plays or things like that. I noticed, yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I noticed SNL did a show from At Home Saturday Night, which I yeah. thought was incredibly creative. <laughs> but don't you yeah. feel like this is a catalyst, but you're almost forced to do it, and the audience that you mentioned that you would thirst for with the younger generation, isn't that audience likes and views? I mean, they're, they're a social media-based yeah. generation. They're probably yeah. more comfortable with a virtual audience. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that the Arts Collective is going to have to do. Like, we were planning on doing summer school programming and teaching kids about theater and bringing in guest artists. Um, I think it's something where literally right now I'm working on, like, reaching out to schools and asking them, you know, what can we still do? How can we help during this time? Because if, I think that's the biggest thing. If there's a need, then we have to, we got to figure out how to, how to fit it, how to make it happen. Mm. All right. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Maybe you'll thank come back you. on sometime if you, if, you, uh, if you don't mind. I'd love to have you back on. I'd love to see you. All right. Yeah, we, we didn't. We didn't. We were talking about this before. We've never met in person. I think this is the first. The first guess where this has been the situation, where I've never met you face to face. But at some point, yeah. At some point, yes. I'll be wandering down downtown Lowell, and we'll uh, we'll grab a cup of coffee at uh, Brood Awakening or something. Oh, can't wait. All right. Can't wait. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right. Next week on the 495, our guest is going to be comedian Amy T. And this is going to be uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Very interesting. Lou, thank you very much. Krista, thank Always you very much. Yep. I'll see everybody next week.